0: A lot of good stuff going on. Uh, I welcome you with Pastor Bryant, myself. And I just want to encourage you, Easter is coming up. We have two things that we started last year that we do for Easter. One is Good Friday. We do Stations of the Cross. Yes, what is Stations of the Cross? It's, it's a liturgical prayer format. that walks you through the life of Jesus over a certain number of stations. Uh, we're using some artwork from an artist in Austin, Texas, that kind of exposes the story of each one of those through art. So it's very contemplative and reflective. And it kind of ends with you taking communion. It's come and go. You and your family can come and go as you please throughout the day. It'll be Friday, which is Good Friday, April 10th, downtown at Pickett on Court. It's a great chance to just keep Jesus the center of your Good Friday. And then Easter Sunday, we have three services this year, 8 a.m., bright and early with no chapel kids, 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Uh, for us because it's always a big year for us. And so just be planning on who you're going to invite because we know people are very likely to come if you invite them for Easter Sunday. So a lot of good stuff going on. If you have your Bibles, you're going to turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. I joke about hating good uh, daylight savings time because I do. I worked for three years when I was in the Air Force. I had the night shift, right? The third shift, 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. And for some reason, it seems like I always was working on the night the daylight savings time sprung forward. So I had to work a whole extra hour but I was never working on it fell back. So I never got that hour back. So I hated that hour when literally you had to watch the clock change and you had a whole nother hour of work. And it was bad enough being third shift. Third shift was a sleepy place. It was a dark place. And so there were so many stories of just people falling asleep at work. And so I remember uh, one night I fell asleep and I woke up and I looked at my watch and my watch, I thought I was hallucinating because it was just like one white blob. And while I was asleep, somebody had whited out the entire face of my watch. And then they, they put stuff on the back of my boots that were inappropriate so I didn't see them until I'm walking back to my barracks and somebody stops me and says, hey, you're out of military uniform regulation. I said, why? They said, your boots say blankety, blankety, blank. I was like, oh, that's great. Other nights, if you fell asleep, people would take your stuff from your uniform, your cover, which is your cap, which you had to have to leave the building outside. They would take it and they'd put it in a water bottle, fill it with water, put it in the freezer so it freezes freeze solid ice. The worst one I had was I fell asleep one night. Our military is really great and disciplined in all things. Fall asleep and I can't find my my cover and they start laughing and laughing and say, you need to check the break room. So go to the break room and we had a a vending machine that had like sandwiches and stuff like a carousel thing and I start scrolling through there and where there used to be a sandwich for $3.75 was now my cover. Somebody bought a sandwich, put my cover in this, I had to spend $3.75 to get my cover back out of the vending machine. And so I hate third shift, I hate midnight shift, I hate daylight savings time, I just want to go to sleep. And the older I get, the quicker and early I want to go to bed. He said, well, why do you share that? Because I think with third shift, many times if you've never worked it, you don't understand how tiresome it is. You don't understand how you, when you leave, there's nowhere to go get dinner or lunch because there's nowhere open in the middle of the night. That's a night when everybody else is asleep, but there's still activity going on. And so I want to unpack this Luke chapter 11 with this midnight hour of what I believe God is doing while we're asleep, while we're not paying attention, while there's not much activity going on in our physical world, there's a whole lot of activity going on in the supernatural or the spiritual world. And it says this in Luke chapter 11. It says, and he said to them, starting in verse 5, it said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight? Everybody say midnight. midnight. Midnight, if you read the Gospels, is a big theme of Jesus. He talks about midnight a lot. And say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey. And I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are in bed with me. Meaning, do not wake up my kids. I will kill you. You don't know how hard it was to get these little jokers in the bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, which means shamelessness, brazen, or persistency, or nagging, or bothering, he will rise up and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask. Everybody say ask. And it will be given to you. Seek, everybody say seek, and you will find. Not somebody else, but you will find and knock, everybody say knock, knock. and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and to the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. For what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead uh, give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's an interesting place. In Matthew, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke, he connects it following the story in Luke chapter 10 of Mary and Martha, where Martha's busy doing a lot of stuff, and Mary's focused on Jesus, beholding him. He goes into the Lord's Prayer, which I believe is teaching us kind of how to pray, or the contents of prayer. He comes out of the Lord's Prayer into this parable about a, a man who has guests come over in the middle of the night who, who needs some bread. You say, well, why is that going on? Because in the Middle East, it's so hot, people would travel at night. And so they had arrived many times at midnight or early in the morning. In the hospitality culture was you had to offer them something as a guest in your household. And so this man's reputation's on the line. He has nothing to offer him. It's the middle of the night, and he tries to go and, and interrupt his friend's sleep. Not for his own benefit, not for bread for him, not for food for him, but for the food for somebody else. And from this little parable, Jesus then says, you need to ask, you need to seek, and you need to knock. And and I believe what he's unpacking here is what he expects to happen. These three levels of prayer, asking, seeking, and knocking, these three levels or three themes of prayer to ask God, to petition him, to seek God, which is devotion, or to knock, which is intercession, are the themes or the levels of prayer Jesus expects to find during the midnight hour. This midnight hour, I said it's a theme that Jesus used over and over and over again. It's, you know, it's not the time frame of midnight per se. They didn't have clocks in, in the New Testament times. And so what they did was they had watches. And so a watch in the Old Testament, there's three watches. And so midnight was the second watch. In the New Testament, there was four watches. So midnight was the, in between the second and third watch. And there are times in which they'd watch out for one another. They would guard their homes. They would guard each other from any attacks or any enemies that may come towards their house in the middle of the night. Why? Because in the middle of the night, you are the most vulnerable to attack. Because you're asleep. When you're asleep, you can't protect yourself. When you're asleep, you can't be active on your own. Yet there's still activity going on at midnight, even though it's not physical. Maybe you're not going to work. There's still supernatural spiritual activity going on all around you while you lay asleep. Slumbering. So some of the words for midnight. Is One it means the, in the midst or the middle or the midpoint between an earlier and a later period of time. Another one means to be located or nearly halfway between two endpoints, meaning be t- the beginning of a thing and the ending of a thing and the ending of a thing and the beginning of a thing in between one season of life and the next season of life. But another one is a separating wall or a barrier between one thing and another. And so when Jesus starts unpacking this midnight thing, it can mean many different things. But I think what he's he's trying to express here is at midnight, there's a separation between an old season and a new season. Midnight is a separation between what used to be and what could be. It's a separation from what you experienced before and what you could experience if you begin to ask, seek, and Knock. It's a separation time between the natural and the supernatural. And so Jesus says during these midnight hours is when you need to be praying the most, calling on me. Because even though it's nighttime, Jesus still works third shift. He still works third shift. He doesn't slumber. He doesn't sleep. He's active, he's functioning, and he's moving on your behalf, even while you slumber. And so just real quick, I want to give you five meanings of midnight. One, midnight is just the middle of the night. We know that. New Year's Eve, midnight is the middle. Number two, midnight is a marker on God's prophetic calendar. You may not know this, but God has a God of seasons and dates and time and all these things. And he has actually has a prophetic calendar that even Jesus doesn't know the markers on the calendar. Jesus does not know when he will return again, but God has this, the Father has this timeline. It has these supernatural markers or prophecies that should be fulfilled before everything is completely fulfilled and Jesus returns again. And so when you hear the midnight hour in scripture, it's actually Jesus referring to the fact that God has a plan. And on that plan is a calendar. And on that calendar are some dates that are circled. And the midnight hour is one of those markers that before Jesus returns, there's a midnight time in which should be and shall be experienced before Jesus returns again. In the parable of the virgins, it talks about a midnight cry. Then the middle of the night, these virgins have oil. Some five have oil in their lamps. The other five don't, which is reference to the Holy Spirit. It's referencing the midnight hour as a time and season of the church before Jesus returns where five, half the church is prepared. They're full of the Holy Spirit, but the other half are empty and not expecting or ready for him to return. And it says when Jesus returns, there'll be a cry in the streets because people wanted to go with him, but they missed him because they were not full, ready and expected for him. See it throughout scripture, this midnight hour, midnight hour, midnight hour, a thief in the night. You see all these things over the dark night of the soul, all these things at the midnight hour. Number three would be a midnight is a spiritual state. It's a state that Jesus refers to that when you've fallen asleep spiritually and you've started to slumber when it comes to the things of God. You could say it's when you lost your first love. You can say when it's when you've lost your passion for the house of God. You can call it when you've lost your passion for the kingdom of God. It's a, it's a spiritual state. And he says the church will be in a deep slumber in the last days. And you won't know you're asleep until you're awakened by his coming again. That's what's sad about slumber. You don't, when you're asleep, you don't realize you're asleep. The only way you know you're asleep is when you finally hear that alarm clock, you realize you've been sleeping. Spiritually, some of you need to get this. You have fallen asleep spiritually and COVID-19, Wuhan virus, whatever the name of the virus is this week was not some random event on earth. What it was was it was not God created, it, but God allowed it to happen to be an awakening alarm to the church. Yeah to get ready and get your lamps full before he comes. Some of you need to realize you are spiritually asleep and God is allowing things to happen in your life to awaken you from your slumber. Your grandmother died, not because you know you were falling away from God, but because it was her time to come home and he wanted to use that to awaken you to your grandmother's faith. Some of you have been in car wrecks. You should have died. What was that? God trying to awaken you from your slumber to get you back with your lamp full. You have to realize that when you fall asleep, it's a midnight hour. Number four, midnight is a season of life. It's a season of life between one season and the next season. Between something old and something new. If you're in college about to graduate, you're going into a midnight hour between one season, an old season and possibly a new season. If you're getting ready to retire, you're going for a midnight season where it's this in between where you don't really know what's happening because it's unclear because the vision hasn't unfolded yet. And sometimes when you go through midnight seasons, you get disoriented because it's darkness all around you. There's lack of vision around you. There's a lack of clarity around you. In these midnight hours, he tells us it's our time to ask, seek, and knock. But number five is this. Midnight is a supernatural opportunity. Touch your neighbor and say supernatural. I don't know your church background. You may think the supernatural is stuff that's way out of left field. But the, the Bible is a supernatural book. It's a living word. You won't find another book that's supernatural because no other book is living. It's supernatural. that In this room right now, there's spiritual activity going all around us. There's angels, there's the Holy Spirit's presence, but there's also demonic activity. Yes, even in church, because you little demon-possessed people keep bringing them back in here. (laughs) Like everywhere you go, there's radio waves in this room. You don't see them, but they're still there. If you pulled out a radio, you could pick up on the receiver. In the same way, there's spiritual activity, there's supernatural activity that goes on all around us all the time. But the midnight hour, The midnight hour, there's something supernatural about this this time. And it's not always just a a time frame, but it's it's a moment where it seems like the veil between the natural and the supernatural gets really thin. In the Orthodox Church, they actually still have midnight mass. Why do they have midnight mass? Because they believe that's when the veil is thin and they can actually access God and their prayers can be heard. But you look at the new age, and I'm a big believer that if you want to know what is real in Christianity, just look and see what evil tries to copy. Like, if you want to really know what's real, people say, well, you know, I don't know about the Holy Spirit stuff. If you just look at Satanism, there's a reason they're Satanist. Because they believe God is more real than most Christians do. They just tend to worship the other deity. And so there's supernatural activity going on. And so what I've seen is in new age and occult, they actually build their services, their worship experiences around the midnight hour. Satanists, when they begin to worship Satan, they do it at the midnight hour, midnight to 3 a.m. in the morning. Why? They believe that's when the demonic activity and the supernatural is the most active and the veil is thin. You can access power supernaturally. You look at many occults, they will build their stuff around the midnight hour. You look at many yoga, they have moon style yogas where they do yoga in the middle of the night because they believe the veil is thin. And if the evil side believes the veil is thin, I believe the spiritual side is too. I was watching videos of this last night here at the church and y'all think church is this bright and happy place. No, when y'all aren't here, it's dark and scary. I've thought about charging people $25 during Halloween just to walk to the church by themselves. So I'm here last night, I'm in prayer, and I started kind of looking up some of the new age occult stuff for the midnight hour. I'm ready to leave, and I walk out, and the sanctuary's dark. I have a little iPhone light on. and Walk through that little door, and I start hearing this chatter. I'm like, what? I was like, I'm studying too much. Like, this is getting too too real. (laughs) It sounds like some of the air vents It's echoing through the room, and it sounds like two people talking back and forth, but I can't pick out what they're saying. Like, I'm literally wetting myself. I need some depends to walk through the church. And I look back, and Ben Heichel's back there at the, the media computer putting stuff in. But I'm just, I, I said, Ben, you have to warn me. <laughs> He's like, sorry, Pastor, I had this podcast playing. I said, no, you have to. You've done that too many times. Like, I literally have to go change my pants. <laughs> Biblically, even David realized the veil was then in Psalm 119. 16, that King David said, at midnight, I will rise to give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. There was something about that midnight hour. Prophetic dreams seem to tend to happen many times. Most people's dreams happen around 3 a.m. It's when you actually hit hit the right stage of sleep to dream. And if prophetic dreams can happen at 3 a.m., demonic dreams can too. There's something about that midnight hour that Jesus is hitting that he's saying, it's a, it's a, the veil is thin, something supernatural is going on, whether it's the return of Jesus or something else. But I want you to know that God does his greatest work during the midnight hour. If you're in a midnight season where it feels dark and it feels like you don't know what's happening next, you feel like you're in a spiritual slumber, you're apathetic, you're in this season of I don't know what's next. You know, I left one job, I'm going into another job or I'm graduating college. I don't know what's going on. You're in a midnight season. But guess what? God does his greatest work in the midnight hour. When you look at culture around us, we are in a midnight hour in the church. It may look like, I read stats, the church is in decline, the influence of the church is in decline, America's on the decline. You know what that is? The midnight hour. And the midnight hour is the transition point between the darkest moments and the future rising of the sun again. That God does his greatest work in the midnight hour. He's a shift worker, but he just works all three shifts. He never sleeps, never slumbers. And when you look at the Bible, the midnight hour is when it seems to be the darkest, but God is about to turn the light back on. The word midnight occurs 14 times in the Bible. It's always associated with some demonstration of the power of God, either in salvation or in judgment. And every time you see it happen, the first time is Passover. When did the angel pass over the Hebrews and take out the firstborn of the Egyptians? The midnight hour. So why does Jesus keep referring to this midnight hour? Because he is the Passover lamb. Look at it again. Paul and Silas, when they're in prison, what time are they delivered out of the prison by the prayers of the saints? The midnight hour. Samson, when he goes to the mountaintop after stealing from the Philistines, what time was it? The midnight hour. When Paul is preaching way too long and Eutychus dies, what time did he resurrect him? The midnight hour hour and I promise you no one ever fell asleep again in church the midnight hour and Jesus says here in that midnight hour he tells us what we ought to be doing he says the midnight hour it's it's midnight and this friend comes and he asks for bread he's not needing bread for himself see many of you in this room you're you're content with you you have enough bread the bread of life to sustain your soul you have enough bread manna from heaven to sustain your soul But this man wasn't going to to this friend. He wasn't going to God asking for bread for himself. He was saying, I need three loaves, not for me, but for my friends because they're traveling. Some of you need to realize that God wants to do something through you, not just for you. That there may be lost friends. You're getting close to Easter. Lost friends, lost family members, lost neighbors, lost whatever it may be. That maybe it's your job to seek God for bread for them until they can cook their own bread. And he says, when they knock, at first they don't want to answer. And what he's saying is, some of y'all believe like when you pray, you're bothering God. Well, I don't want to bother my neighbor. I don't want to wake up the kids. I don't, I don't want. To. And you feel like if you pray, you're bothering God. But Jesus is telling the story. He says, but because of his impudence. Meaning, because of his brazenness, his shamelessness, his persistency, because he kept on coming, he will answer him and give him what he asked for. What Jesus is saying is, you cannot nag God enough to bother him. You cannot worry him by knocking and asking and seeking. You can't bother him enough. He actually expects it. And so in the midnight hour, he's saying the midnight hour is a time he's calling the believers and the saints and the church to prayer. Would you see that it's midnight in your life? It means it's time for you to pray that God can turn on the light and give you vision for the next season of your life. In the church, when you see the world going to hell in a handbasket, it's not a time to get on Facebook and complain about this president or that president that congressman or this mayor or this person. No, it's a time to pray, to ask, to seek, and to Not When you start seeing the culture shift the wrong direction, it's a time for the church to pray. And what happens is we do not rise as a church to our level of preaching or our level of worship or our level of strategy or our level of location. We always sink to the level of our praying. And I will tell you, you do not raise to the level of your personality or your gifts or your talent. Your life will always sink to the level of your prayers. Yeah, we'll complain to God about this not happening or this not happening. And what's actually happening, he's revealing to you the level of your prayer. And so Jesus in the scripture gives us three levels to pray. Three levels. To ask, to seek, and to knock. Coming right out of the Lord's Prayer. And I believe what happens is the majority of believers, I would say 90% stop at the first level. I'd say maybe another 5% continue on to seeking Jesus. And maybe another 5% move on to interceding for others and other people. And so I want to unpack for you is is these three levels in in, in a quick 20 minutes. But I'll tell you simply, if if you don't pray or you don't pray well or you don't pray enough, three tips for you to to do. One, choose a place to pray. Just choose a place. It can be your car. My kids are little. I'm telling you, you know, know, kids, babies are not born saved. They're born filled with demonic spirits. From your in-law's side, of course. That's why they scream. Like, they're just manifesting all the time. So you can't get a place to pray because they interrupt. So my place was in the shower. I would turn the shower on. I'd be in the bathroom praying because they wouldn't bother me in the shower. Like, then it was, you know, I have a tree stand. When I hunt, that's my prayer time. Here, I have a chair that I pray in now. At my house, I have a chair I pray in. It's a place. Choose a place that you can make sacred that you meet with God. But two, set a time. Because if you don't set a time on your schedule or your calendar, you'll make God last priority instead of a first priority. Like if you were having a meeting with, with me or a meeting with a friend or a meeting with a family member, you'd put that on the calendar. I would say schedule your meeting with God. Put it on the calendar. And three, make a list. Just make a simple list. Start with yourself and with your spouse and with your kids and let it ripple out from there. And those three things will change your prayer life so that you can begin moving forward to these three levels. The first level is this. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Petition. It's the first level of prayer, just petition. Even non-believers petition God for things. They'll ask God, God, if you just, you know, you, I've heard people say, God, if you just give me this job, then, uh, you know, I'll serve you the rest of my life. God, you know, if you give me this girl, then, you know, I'll, I'll serve you the rest of my life. What they're doing is they're petitioning God. They're asking him for something. And prayer is simply you asking God to act on your behalf. And so petition the reason it's important is here Jesus is saying, I want you to ask. He says, I'm telling you, it's a command. Ask, he's commanding ask, ask, ask of me, ask me for the bread, ask me. It doesn't matter if I'm asleep, it doesn't matter if it's midnight. Ask me, and you shall receive. The blessing is the receiving, but the command is ask. And I hear people say all the time, well, you know, God just didn't answer my prayers. God will never answer a prayer that has not been asked. And many times when you ask, you ask so generally that he doesn't have anything to work with in order to answer your prayer. He wants you to ask. I heard somebody say he actually delights in our asking. Like he's delighted when we ask, when you come to him and pray and you ask him, God, I need you to do this. Or God, hey, this opportunity's coming up. You know, I ask that you give me favor and blessing. God, I need you to move in this area of my life or my family's family. God, I need you. He delights in it. Why? Why, why, is God such a, why is it such a big deal to ask God? Well, one, it's the most relational, intimate concept in all of religion, not just Christianity, in all of religion. Because in order to ask him, you have to draw near to him. And as a father, he doesn't care about the stuff. He just wants you. Two, he wants you to ask because if you don't ask and it does come through, they go, well, I have an unspoken prayer request. And then it does come through. Then you, God doesn't get the credit for it. The only way God gets credit for the blessings he gives you is if you ask for them because therefore you know where they came from. If not, you would say, it's just a coincidence. Or other people say, it's just a coincidence. But when you're praying and you're very detailed and you're asking God, God, I need this and I need it now, he will answer them. And the principle is the more, that God, the more you ask God, the more he releases the blessings you're looking for. I don't understand why, but the principle is you have to ask. And for those who ask, there's more blessings released from it. John Wesley, one of my favorite quotes says, God does nothing but an answer to prayer. God does nothing but an answer to prayer. And so the question is, your life, as you look at your life, your life is a result of your prayer life. When you look at your blessings, when you look at your life, when you look at your your peace, when you look at your joy, it's all the result of your prayer life. If you don't like your life, then evaluate and examine your prayer life. And I would tell you, when, when he says this, God is literally saying, I want you to ask of me. And in the Bible, he says, ask for wisdom. I'll give it to you. He says, ask in Psalm 2.8, ask for the nations. Yeah. Do, do you realize that? We've we become satisfied and content with just asking God to bless our food. And he hadn't even blessed that chemical mess that that is. We've been content with just, Talking to God for two minutes a day and just asking him for this generalized umbrella over our life. God, has need your blessings, want your blessings, please bless me. But in the Bible, it says, if you ask for it, he will give it to you. You have not because you ask not. It even says, even ask for the nations. Do you realize that you can ask for more than just what you currently have? And I'm not even talking about prosperity. I'm saying, he said, ask for the nations. What that tells me is our prayer lives are too small. Your ask is too small. So we need to increase our asking potential for bigger and better prayers. They, they, they don't bother God. God's not going to say, you know, he, you know, he asked for a new job. That's a little bit much. And he reads Psalm 2.8 and he say, well, at least he didn't ask for the nations. Like what's the worst that could happen if you ask God for something big? The worst that can happen is he says No. Like, what's so bad? You ask, God, "God, just give me the nation of Iran. I really want Iran. They got oil. I could be rich. Just give me Iran. The worst God can say is, no, I don't think I'm going to give it to you. It doesn't bother me. It stretched my faith. So if I don't ask for Iran, maybe I'll ask for Canada. They don't have anything anyway. Like, you have to increase your ask when you realize you have more potential in you when you ask bigger things than you actually realize and god is not pushed away by your asking he's actually inviting you to ask he delights in your asking and you can be detailed i I pray with for my kids i pray for my kids every day since they've been born and for the girls up i kind of pray that there's so many of them i kind of pray the same prayer just say over and over again i ask them god i ask right now you're preparing their future husband And their future husband, you're preparing him through his mom and dad who love you with a faith, faith, spirit-filled, Bible-believing family. And they're developing these young men for my daughters. And I pray that the way they find them, they will treasure them as a treasure in God. And I pray that they'll be confident enough. They'll be strong enough to lead my girls, but confident enough to empower my girls. And then I'll pray for RJ. I pray that you develop RJ into a godly young man who can cherish and honor his future wife. And God, I pray for her. She's going to need all the help she can get. I pray for her family. I pray for her grandparents. I pray for her kids. I pray for her dog. I just pray for her right now in Jesus' name. Like, the more detailed you are, I'm actually starting to see it with my girls. Those prayers unfold before my very eyes. You can ask to greater detail. Even Jesus. In Mark 10, I'm, I'm going to hit this real quick. In verse Chapter 10, verse 46 to 52. And he came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a great crowd was there. And Bartimaeus, a blind beggar. I say blind beggar. He's blind. He's begging for money on the side of the street. Was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent or shut up. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Now, Jesus ain't stupid. It's a blind man begging for money and he asked him what he wants him to do for him. To me, that's almost Sarcastic, which is my spiritual language. Like I I, I appreciate. He's blind. What do you want me to do for you, sir? Like of all of that, what do you want? He says, "Here's what he says. What do you want me to do for you?" And the blind man said to him, "Recover my sight." So why would Jesus, when a blind man's wanting prayer, why would he ask him what he wanted, even though Jesus already knew what he wanted? Because the power is in the asking. And people will say, you have unspoken prayer requests. An unspoken prayer request is a dead prayer request. I will tell you right now. Well, I have this, you know, what you're saying is I'm too religious and I'm too proud to actually ask anybody to agree with me in faith, but I still want God to move because I expect God to adapt to me instead of me adapting to God. Like when we go out to eat, which is the, you know, every time we ask God to eat, we're on the verge of divorce in our household. Like, where do you want to go? Oh, toy but I, I, I don't really care. Um, and then you pick a place. We're well, not there. I'm like, well, you said you didn't care. Well, no. oh, sorry. Let me get this straight. You don't want the responsibility of making the decision, but you want to complain and have an opinion about every single decision. But if you would just tell me what you want, I'll get you what you want. In the same way, the scripture is God telling you, you can ask for anything. He's like, well, you don't really care. Just, Just a blessing. But if you were to say, when God says, hey, what do you want? And you tell him, he's more apt to give you what you ask for than he is what you don't ask for. And so how do you pray like that? The Acts prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. If you've never prayed before, this prayer will help you, adoration. Just tell God how much you love him. God, I love you. Thank you for salvation. You're a blessing to me. I love you. I love your name. I love your house. I love worshiping. I love your presence. And then confession. I confess my needs to him. I confess my sins to him. And then in Thanksgiving, God, thank you for the blood of Jesus that covers me in my sin. Thank you for, for being with me way back in the day. Thank you for being with me now. And this supplication, God, here's what I need. That is petitioning God. And most of us have petitioned God before, but I'm trying to encourage you to petition him even more than you ever have. And then move to the second level of prayer, which he says is to begin to seek him. And if you seek him, you will find him, which is a devotional prayer. Devotional prayer is seeking God for our spiritual renewal, our growth, and our communion with him. It means you're not seeking something from him, you're just seeking him. And your soul was created to seek after your creator. And when you don't seek after him, your soul will seek other things to satisfy that longing in your soul. That's not just salvation. It's a daily longing to connect with your creator. And when you don't find it, you'll connect to your sexuality, you'll connect to culture, you'll connect to sin, you'll connect to all, and you'll connect with these things because your soul is saying, I want to seek after something." And devotional prayer is where you just simply seek after Jesus. He said, Well, how can I seek after somebody I've already found? Well, you could change the word from seek to pursue. So, what does that mean? I've already found my wife, Toya, who I love dearly. But just because I've found her doesn't mean I stop seeking her. Just because we got married doesn't mean I stopped pursuing her. I've done marriage counseling with old bubbas from Alabama who've told me they're fighting, their marriage is falling apart. And woman said, I just don't know if he loves me anymore. And da, da, da. I said, Well, do you love him or do you love her? And he'd be like, Well, I told her once we got married. If it changed, I'll tell her again. <laughs> like, no. But as believers, you do the same thing. You'll say, Well, I told Jesus I loved him when I got saved but you haven't pursued him ever since. Seeking him is simply sitting with him, beholding him, and telling him how much you love him. And the Bible says there's a reward to those who diligently seek after him. You say, what is that reward? It's a special revelation that he'll give you. It's deeper intimacy that he'll give you. It's a stronger relationship. Your spiritual power flows out of that communion that's there. There's more joy that flows in a seeker. There's more peace that flows in a seeker. There's more hope that flows in a seeker. Why? Because you're abiding in the vine who created you. And so some of you need to know this. You're looking for peace. You're looking for joy. You're looking for power. And you're not going to find it anywhere else except for when you seek after Jesus. In Luke 10, which is just before the scripture, which is interesting, Mary and Martha are arguing. Martha's doing all the religious stuff. Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha gets mad. She tells Jesus, hey, aren't you going to tell Mary to get up and do something? He said, no, she's doing the better part. What's he saying? You can't do things for God until you sit at the feet and experience God. Would you rest in him? I believe as Mary was sitting there just watching Jesus, her eyes were meeting his eyes, her heartbeat's getting in rhythm with his heartbeat. I believe he's speaking his identity, her identity over her. I believe he's speaking his promises over her. Speaking over her. I believe he's speaking peace over her. I believe he's speaking joy over her. But that can only happen when you sit down, you be still to know that he is God. Worship is one of the ways you seek him. You say, well, what does that mean? You know, depending on your church background, many of you come from denominational backgrounds where your worship was theology to music, your singing doctrine. In a charismatic world, we look at more, so if you come from that type of background, you think Romans is, is the, the doctrinal songbook, per se. But in a charismatic world, we look at the Psalms that David wrote, which are worship songs. We look at that as a model. We look at music as worship, as prayers to music. Then as I'm worshiping, I'm praying to God. I'm seeking him. I'm telling, I'm ministering to him. Seeking God is simply ministering to Jesus, which is your first calling, to minister to the one who saved you. That is your first love. Well, how do I do that, pastor? I'll tell you. Put the list away. Sit down in silence and just begin to tell Jesus how much you love him. Then remain silent and then begin to speak into your heart and tell you how much he loves you open up his word, and instead of just reading his word as a a plan, begin to soak in his word and begin to pray it. I I say this in biblical meditation. Read it, write it, pray it, and sing it. Read a psalm, write the psalm, sing the psalm, and then pray the psalm. And what you'll see is God will begin to unpack every word, and the deeper you go, he'll unpack the word, he'll unpack the letters, and you'll start to get this revelation from seeking him that no one else has ever had. But don't stop there. Move into intercession. This is the third one. Jesus says, to ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. And knock and the door shall be opened for you. Intercession is simply praying for others. People, places, things, the country, the government, the other family. It's just simply praying for other people. It means that I've, I've petitioned God for what I need. I've sought after him. He's, he's renewing me. He's strengthening me. And now I'm going to take what I've got from God and I'm going to intercede on the behalf of others. Now, I will say this, that some people are called to the ministry of intercession. Like they have that, that calling. You may not have that, but everybody's called to intercessory prayer. That's what the scripture is. You should be knocking on the door for somebody else in the kingdom of heaven. And so how do I know if I'm called to intercessory prayer? How do I know if I'm called to that? I'll tell you, like I've told a million people before. When somebody shares with you a prayer need and you feel that need, like, you know, I have this pain in my shoulder, and your, your own shoulder starts to hurt. Or they tell you, hey, i got a situation with my family, my parents are getting divorced, and they start feeling the grief in their own soul. When you start empathizing with people's prayer needs, not just sympathizing, feeling bad, for, them, but you start to feel their pain and feel their burden and feel their grief, that's God saying you're called to intercession. You say, why is that? Because if you feel their pain, you will pray like you are them. When you feel their burden, you will pray like you are them. When you feel their grief, you will pray like you are them. There's something about intercession. And in the scripture, Jesus is saying, some people call it intercession, but everybody's called to intercessory prayer. And intercessory prayer is just simply you going to God for somebody else. And at the midnight hour, he's saying, you need to be knocking on the door so that other people can walk through the door. Did you, did you realize, I'm gonna read this Andrew Murray quote because I, I love it. He says, we must begin to believe that God in the mystery of prayer has entrusted us with a force that moves the heavenly world and can bring its power down to earth. That intercessory prayer is this Dimension that actually pulls down power from heaven onto earth. When you see Roe v. Wade overturned, that was not a political movement. That was people that have been interceding since the 1960s to see that overturned. Why? It unleashes power from heaven on earth and influence on earth. And what it does, the easiest way to explain it is, intercessory prayer is just you go into God and say, I need you to open up right now. God, I need you to open up for this family right now. God, I need three loaves for this other family right now. God, I need three loaves for the city of Florence right now. God, I need three loaves for Underwood Baptist right now. God, I need three loaves for my in-laws right now. It's simply knocking on the door of heaven. God is not thinking you're going to wake him or you're going to disturb him. He actually says, knock, and in your impudence, he will answer. It's the persistency of prayer and intercession that brings fruition. And you have to realize the open door. I believe in the midnight hour, spiritually, as I talk about, it's a season of the open doors of heaven. I was telling RJ about this. Right now, I believe church world. It's a season of open heavens. What does that mean? That it's a time to pray and ask bigger prayers. It's open and closed doors. And I will tell you this, never, ever walk through a door that prayer did not open. well, how do I know if prayer opened the door? Well, did you pray it open? If you didn't pray it open, don't walk through that door because not every opportunity is an opportunity from heaven. Not every blessing is a blessing from heaven. And so if you, if you walk through a door that prayer didn't open, guess who opened that door? The enemy. Because if you, start open, if you start walking through doors that prayer didn't open, you will no longer pray, you'll no longer seek, you'll no longer ask, and you'll start to fall away from God instead of depending and trusting on God. Open doors and close. Intercessory prayer is this, this thing of opening and closing doors. I'm opening doors of heaven, and I'm closing the gates of hell. I'm opening doors of blessing, and I'm closing demonic activity. I'm opening the doors of, of favor, and I'm closing the door of disobedience. And so, Pastor, what does that mean? It means Matthew 18. He says this. He says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything, ask, if I say ask, it's amazing how many times Jesus tells us to ask, ask and it will be done for them in Jesus' name or in my father's name. For where there are two or three gathered in my name, there I am among them. You may not believe this, but this, this veil between the supernatural, the natural and supernatural, there's actually spiritual doors that in the scripture Jesus says, you can close them. But there's other doors that you can open. And, and I, just, I heard this this past week. It actually happened in November, in Colombia. There was kids at a school that are actually playing with a Ouija board. They were playing the Ouija board, and I think six or seven of the kids immediately got sick. They were vomiting and foaming at the mouth. In 2006, there's a whole school. 512 kids, because one started playing with the Ouija board, got other kids involved. 512 kids fell with the same sickness at one time. They couldn't figure out what it was. They basically said it was hysteria. No, what had happened was there was a door that was open that should have never been opened. In intercessory prayer, you close those doors, you you shut those doors, you rebuke those doors of the enemy, you close the gates of hell, but you can also open the gates of heaven. That's what the scripture said. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I used to read that scripture and think that I was waiting on heaven. Well, I'm waiting on God to loose something. I'm waiting on God to bind this. I'm going to read it one more time. You tell me who's waiting on who. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. We are not waiting on heaven. Heaven is waiting on you. He's waiting for you to bind something. He's waiting for you to lose something. He's he's waiting for you to ask. He's waiting on you to seek. He's waiting on you to knock. He says, but everyone who asks, they shall receive. Everyone who seeks, they shall find. Everyone who knocks, the door shall be open. Heaven is waiting on you. I don't know why God designed it that way, but in the midnight hour, he's calling us to begin asking, seeking, and knocking so that we can see heaven come to earth. So, how do you how do you do intercessory prayer? It's simple. You just see the needs and concerns for others, you begin to lift them up to Jesus. Here, here's what I use. This came from my big. I just pray the Holy Spirit move in their lives by one: the drawing in the Holy Spirit. People that I know they're lost or unsaved, I pray that the Holy Spirit draws them, He convicts them, and He draws them to Jesus. You don't have to, you don't have to pray a superpower just Holy Spirit draw them you have the power draw them through other people draw them to the church Holy Spirit just draw them convict them let them see the pig style they are in and draw them back to the Father's house then I pray the gifts of the Spirit will be released in their life God I pray to you awaken them in the night with visions and dreams God I pray for the gifts of knowledge and wisdom to flow in their lives God I pray for the gift of prophecy. I pray you bring prophetic people around to speak life and encouragement over them then I pray the fruit of the Spirit God I pray the fruit of the Spirit begins to grow in their lives that they're full of peace and love and joy and, joy and long-suffering and hope and patience. Father, I just pray the gifts of the Spirit. Man, I pray you you convict them of anything that's not your fruit and allow your fruit to grow in them. And finally, I pray for the wisdom and knowledge of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray your wisdom in their life. If they've got decisions coming up. I pray they have your wisdom. I pray they have your revelation. I pray they have your understanding. I pray they have your insight so they can make the right decision and go through the right door. That's intercessory prayer. It's easy. And when you realize, even in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in prison. God begins to deliver them. He delivers them at the midnight hour. And this is what I believe God is calling. I believe God is taking, whatever your prayer level is now, I believe God is asking you to take a deeper step. For some of you, maybe you don't pray at all. I believe God's asking you to start petitioning him. To begin asking him for things. To ask him. For understanding, Ask him for wisdom. Ask him for knowledge. Ask him for whatever you want to ask him for. Some of you already petitioned. I'm going to encourage you to ask bigger prayers. Like You're not going to offend God with your faith. It actually pleases him. And some of you need to go from petitioning God to actually seeking him. That maybe you begin to seek. Maybe in a worship service, you take the step from just being a spectator to a participator. Maybe in your prayer time, you shut off the TV, you shut off the sound, and you simply sit with Jesus to tell him how much you love him. I know maybe some of you God is calling us to intercede as a church. Maybe He's calling us to intercede for other churches, for our community, for the nation. But maybe He's calling you to start intercede for your kids, your grandkids, your siblings, your in-laws, your parents, your friends, your neighbors. That I believe it's a midnight hour. And what does Jesus call us to do in the midnight hour? To ask, seek, and knock. If you would, I just want you to stand up all over the room, and we're going to dismiss. I'm going to pray in a second. But as I pray, here's what I want you to do. We're going to practice this. As we begin to pray, I'm going to challenge you to lift up the biggest prayer you can ask. If Jesus is walking through town and he says, what can I do for you? What would your response be? Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you for your blessing upon these people. Father, if there's anyone in this room that does not know you, I pray in this one moment right now, Holy Spirit, you convict them of their sin. You awaken them from their midnight hour. You draw them back into your embrace and your love and your joy. And Father, you allow for them to be washed and cleansed in the blood of Jesus. And so right now, Holy Spirit, I pray for your drawing in this room. And if there's anybody in this room, you said you need to say yes to Jesus today. Maybe you said it years ago, but you said, I need a new start, a fresh beginning with Jesus. that's you, I'm not going to have you come forward this morning. I'm going to have you you stand up. I'm going to simply ask you to raise your hand so I can pray with you. If that's you, So that's me, I just want you to simply, simply raise your hand if that's you. Thank you. Anybody else? Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for these people. I pray your blood washes them, your blood cleanses them as they seek your face, as they confess their sin, as they repent of their wicked ways, that you'll fill them with righteousness and with joy and with peace and with purpose that your promises over them be yes and amen in Jesus. Father, right now, I just pray for faith increase in this room. Father, for every single person, I encourage you right now to begin praying, asking God for the biggest prayer you can ask. Father, I pray as they begin to ask you that they will not feel like they're disturbing you or waking you, that, Father, they are seeking after you. And so, Father, I pray as they ask, whatever it may be for their business, for their career, for their ministry, for their kids, for their grandkids, for their finances, for their healing, for miracles, Father, whatever it may be in their life what you've placed before them, I pray, Father, as they ask that their faith is stretched as a container to contain more of what you have for them. So, Father, I pray right now, as faith increases, that their ask gets bigger and better, and he began to feel their faith with the promises of God, the favor of God, and the blessings of God in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. If I can have a prayer team come forward. If you need prayer for anything, healing in your body, just agreement for what's going on. It said in the scripture, Matthew 18, where two or three touch and agree. That's why we do this so two or three can touch and agree together. G said it will be so. They're here for you, but we love you. Hope you get another hour of sleep tonight. Have a great week. Be blessed.